four years, they've had each other to turn to. For the first time... Why didn't it work out between us? Two close friends will become even closer. Show me what to do. An all-new Dawson's Creek. about Dawson's Creek. I'm Tracy. This is Charles. And hello and welcome back to another week of enlightening, engaging discussions. This is me giving a review to our own show. I don't know. Maybe it's not enlightening and engaging, but hopefully it's entertaining. Fingers crossed. One would hope. One would hope. This week we are talking about 508 Hotel New Hampshire, which I want to say that last week, Charles, you and I both were like, oh, Hotel California, right? Actually... That is incorrect. Oh, my God. Um, and who knows? Maybe it may have well been. But we've got emails from both Mike and from Charlotte who let us know that uh, there was actually a book and a movie titled Hotel New Hampshire, which uh, is probably the reference. As Mike put it, uh, it was a 1981 novel by John Irving, huge bestseller, and then it was a 1984 film with Rob Lowe and Jodie Foster as siblings <coughs> who grow quite fond of each other. <laughs> so, Ooh. yeah, I don't know. But both Mike and Charlotte have agreed separately in their emails that Rob Lowe, a young Rob Lowe, was very cute in this movie. So we'll take your word for it. I own a novel by John Irving. I don't remember which one it is, but I believe I enjoyed it. Maybe it's Hotel New Hampshire. It's not. I would have remembered that. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, also, I'm not going to go into this on the podcast, but Charles, this will be interesting. I mean, it's interesting to me too, but I feel like, Charles, you were especially angry about it last week when you and I talked off the podcast. I don't think our listeners got the full extent of your rant. Uh, it was about the whole living trust situation. Mike actually has a bit of an explanation in his email Ooh. from the past week for you so i'm gonna send that to you and if we have not responded by the time this podcast comes out it it will be coming <laughs> i don't know tracy are you sure you don't want to put this entire discussion about a legal document on our podcast i looked at when mike signed his email he signed it mike quote unquote not a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> um so yes thank you for those emails i also want to address an email we got from a listener who i'm pretty sure it's okay for me to use her name it's not like i'm calling out like her full name. This is an email from Michelle who took issue with, well, take issue might seem a little bit strong. It is a very constructive criticism of our podcast, which we are taking to heart. If I have not responded to this email and Michelle, you are listening, we also will be getting to that as well. Uh, Michelle has some concerns or issues with the mispronunciations of words and malapropisms that come from our mouths during this podcast. Um, Mostly my math. All all fair. I, I will say, in slight defense of us, uh, we are not professional broadcasters, even as journalists. Our our trade is uh, to sit and, and think our words a little more. Not that I'm trying to like make an excuse here, because obviously, like, yes, we could be doing better. Our full-time jobs, however, uh, are not to be professional broadcasters. And so sometimes we do trip over our words when speaking, uh, especially when we're talking about Dawson's Creek, which to us, like, this is just a fun hobby for us that we really enjoy doing and uh we're, we're sorry if it bothers you we we do try to be very cautious of how we prepare for the podcast um 
you know, doing it every week. Not again, I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses. I just kind of feel like sometimes I do want to explain to people that like we we don't intentionally try to be bad at words because, yeah, it is our <laughs> job to know language and to know words. Um, but being a professional broadcaster, I feel like would be helpful in the sense uh, of us recording this podcast. But that we are not, and we are very well aware of our shortcomings and uh, will try to be more cautious about it, at least for my part, especially when I'm editing the podcast. I, If I know that something is very incorrect, I will try to take it out because we do not like being factually incorrect. But that's just kind of my weird half defense, half explanation. It's probably not a great one, honestly. I mean... Just, just that we we take this to heart. We are aware, and we uh will try to do better. I will uh, give everyone a little behind the scenes look at my mental process. Um, I believe uh one of her primary complaints is sometimes I just kind of make up words or um append a incorrect prefix or suffix to like a root. Very often that happens when I realize I'm about to repeat two words in one sentence and panic and try not to repeat the word and i accidentally invent words so i apologize for that this happens to us i think on a daily basis when we're talking just in general you know we 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 speak faster than our brains really let us process the words coming out of our mouths sometimes and uh, we try not to do that when we're doing things like the podcast we definitely don't do that at work like this should not be a reflection of our ability to be professional journalists like i i hope it isn't i hope no one is listening to our podcast in hopes that this is like a reference point for how we are in newsrooms it is not please don't take it that way but i think otherwise when we are just sitting and chatting um we we are not as cautious of when we are incorrectly speaking or referencing things and for the most part if we have made a error we do try to correct it the following week or correct it on the show notes for uh that week's episode at dawsonspeak.com but um yeah just know that we know this is a problem about us we've talked about it as well just between me and charles and uh we we, we will try to be better but we you know we've been doing this for two years we still have we still have room for improvement so i do appreciate the criticism um but thank you for emailing Yes, thank you for thank you for still listening. Like even if it drives you crazy uh, to hear certain words come out of our mouths, like hopefully we say this. I say we say this all the time. I think I've said this once, but like they say on airlines, you have a lot of choices of podcasts to listen to. And so we're just <laughs> grateful you've chosen ours, and hopefully it's something that can provide you some, like I said, entertainment and hopefully something to um, take away. F- in your Dawson's Creek viewing experience, if you're watching it again. Um, but yes, we do appreciate our listeners and your feedback, uh, constructive criticism and uh, fun notes and things like that, which you can send to us uh, by email, dawsonspeakpod at gmail.com. Comment on our website, dawsonspeak.com. Social media is dawsonspeakpod. Again, we're not always the best at responding right away, but hopefully we do try to respond to as many of you as possible. And also our phone number because we've got an answering machine answering machine that's what they're called right (laughs) google voice voicemail a voicemail yes you can leave us a message which we actually got a message from our pal josh over at the creek of the week podcast Uh, if you're familiar with the world of dawson's creek podcasting you're probably familiar with creek of the week they are currently not 
actively publishing episodes, but they've got a whole catalog of really fun episodes. Basically, they roll the dice every week and watch a different episode. And sometimes there are repeats, they're out of order, but um, Charles can't listen to it because of spoilers. <laughs> but uh, Creek of the Week is great. Uh, they've always been great with us on social media. And Josh left us a voicemail to poke some holes in some of your concerns from last week, Charles. Hey, Charles and Tracy. Um, this is Josh, formerly of uh, Creek of the Week, and I just finished uh, listening to Sex Lies at your Sex Lies and Videotape episode, and it occurred to me that I might be able to shed some light on a few things you've been confused about. Um, okay, um, regarding the university-related stuff, the university that I am getting my doctorate at right now has... Like, you were complaining about how if Professor Wilder doesn't like the curriculum, he can just change it. That is not a thing, especially at a place with a large English department. Um, my department is very small, much smaller than the English department. And if we want to get, like, a major curriculum change done, um, that involves approval through like, high levels, like, well into dean and provost uh, pay grade stuff, as well as, like, student senate and stuff like that. Um, for literally decades at the same university, people have been trying to get rid of these two classes that everybody in the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences had to take, and it took literally decades, uh, just because it things become very entrenched and impossible to remove. So I can totally get where, uh, you know, somebody might be the head of the department and hates the freshman curricula, but there's nothing you can go about. Second, um, you remarked about Jen not having a major or anything yet. She's in the fall of her freshman year. Of course she doesn't have a major. Nobody has a major except for geoengineering, few engineering kids, maybe some J-School students, um, and the pre-law, and the pre-law, pre-med, and business majors. And, I mean, pre-law, pre-med, business majors are not people you want to deal with anyway. Um, they take everything way too seriously. And also, you're absolutely right, the, the attention that Professor Wilder is paying to Joey is weird. <laughs> Because she's, again, literally first semester of her freshman year. Um, as special as Joey might be portrayed to be, in intro classes you run across, you know, he's probably teaching about 300 students across two intro classes. Although, again, he's the uh, head of the English department. That's a weird choice to make. Generally, department heads don't teach 100 level classes, but whatever. For Professor Wilder to even, like, know Joey's first name would be fairly weird. And I think that just comes down to, it's TV. They need everybody to recognize Joey as a genius for some reason, kind of along the same lines that uh, reporting was on the Gilmore Girls. I think the same basic theory. We've seen absolutely no evidence that she's any good at writing. Similarly, we've seen little evidence that she's any good at I 
really appreciated that call. I thought it was very enlightening. You and I did both go to college, but neither of us went to like graduate school. Um, and of the complicated systems in the world, uh, academia is one of the ones I understand the least. So that insight from him is really nice. Um, and honestly, I didn't even realize it had to go through like a provost and a dean and probably the academic senate or something. I still not a hundred percent sure what provosts do um but it was fun to learn yeah and also uh i will say though josh brought up about our concern or our annoyance that jen doesn't have a major i think it was less about the fact that jen doesn't have a major because yeah people go through the first couple of years a lot of people go through undecided um i don't think it was so much about the fact that jen didn't have a major it was that we don't know what she's interested in like we just don't see her in this episode we do see her doing something academic-ish but just in the past seven episodes that we saw based on last week like we just don't have a sense of what Jen is really interested in or we just don't see her in class like I think that was our concern it was less about whether or not she had a major it was more about like what is Jen doing besides sleeping with Charlie (laughs) I think up until this episode the only really school related thing we see her doing is um the radio station stuff right college radio's a real cool hobby but apart from that i think we see her study the first time today or in 508 yeah i think so too correct us if we're wrong i think 508 is the first time we see her actually studying and then um to josh's last point it was about how professor wilder is paying too much attention to joey and yes uh charles has many feelings more feelings about that um, that we that we will continue to discuss uh, possibly throughout the rest of this season? Question mark. I don't want to tell you how long Professor Wilder is around, but I guess you'll just have to find out. But yes, this is the whole thing again of how Joey is constantly being uh, portrayed to us, the viewers, as someone very, very special. And yes, Joey is smart. We are rooting for Joey Potter. But um, yeah, in very much the same way that I think I made this comparison of Rory and Gilmore Girls to you, Charles, earlier in the week, that like, we constantly are told these people are super, super special, but we, the viewers, don't often get to see that. So, like, in Gilmore Girls, we're told that, like, Rory is this amazing journalist, that she's an incredible writer and all those things. And, like, there's really little evidence of it, especially when you get to the Netflix review. It's like, Rory's actually a terrible journalist. Uh, I, there's an adage in journalism that I will share with you all now. It's called, uh, it's called, it is uh show don't tell and i don't think we've been particularly shown that joey is a genius level student though maybe we just haven't seen the other students being particularly dumb and also i think maybe the storylines just haven't allowed us to see that yet i mean the only thing we really saw the reason why we are led to believe that professor wilder thinks joey is special is because of that first class in 501 but at the same time, I'm still a little skeptical of whether or not that really sets her apart from the other students. Again, maybe all the other students are bad. I don't know. I don't know. But for the purposes of the story that we have before us, this is what we are told. But I guess that leads us straight into talking about 508. I have I have a fact for you, Tracy. Oh, tell me your fact. I'm so sorry. I glossed over the fact that you have a Paula Cole fact this week, right? Uh, correction, I do not actually have a Paula Cole fact. 
I'm still out of them because uh, she was on a boat last week and wasn't putting out any new facts. Though she did turn 51, so happy birthday, Paula Cole. Um, this week, I have a Jan Arden fact for you. Ooh. Are you ready for this? I am. Did you know that Jan Arden has her own TV show? And not only that, but it literally just debuted at the end of March on uh, CTV. Um, it follows a fictionalized version of herself and hits on her major life events. Apparently, people seem to like it according to a Toronto Star review that I read. Oh, how interesting. I feel like a lot of our listeners, particularly those who are in Canada, will know this probably. Um, so it is new to us. But that's a cool fact. What I particularly like is not only does she have a story by credit, she also stars in the series. Oh, so is it kind of like a, I don't want to say a mock, it's not like a mockumentary or anything. Like the style of the show, is it like, what would you compare it to that you and I are familiar with? It's like a fictionalized audio, autobiographical. Um, So Diplo, maybe I just have James Vanderbeek. Um... (laughs) in my head but i feel like it's the diplo series if james vanderbeek wasn't in it and diplo was in it interesting okay um speaking of james vanderbeek actually before we i guess this is gonna segue right into 508 so let's let me hold let me hold this fact but thank you for sharing this jan arden fact of the week the listeners asked for it you delivered thank you charles well i'm here to please (laughs) all right let's talk about 508 Uh, Hotel New Hampshire. Let's remind ourselves what happened last week. Previously on Dawson's Creek. How was your therapy? It's fine. She wants me to come three times a week. Good. Means that I will get to see you more often. You just think you can have whatever you want in this restaurant, don't you? Obviously not whatever I want. I remind you of a guy who could cheat on his wife. (laughs) Get your... I need to break it off with them. I mean, I just, I need to end this. We never discuss commitment of any kind. Men are such dogs. You know, it'd be better if they went up to you, sniffed your butt, and peed on you. I seem to have won a film festival in Hooksett, New Hampshire. And the IMDb fan submitted anonymously written summary. Dawson's therapist advises him to go to New Hampshire where his documentary film of Arthur Brooks is being honored and take a friend with him since he's been feeling so estranged from them. He takes Jen, who is heartbroken after finding out that Charlie is trying to reconcile with his other girlfriend, Nora, and not her, and they pretend to be a couple, getting a very romantic honeymoon suite. Meanwhile, Jack brings Joey and Audrey to a frat party, and Joey finds out they're only there for the fraternity brothers to score with them. Also, Pacey takes Karen on a non-romantic date, and they accidentally sleep together, and then she reacts confused, quits her job, and hits the road. I have issues with some of the definitions in this summary, but those... It vaguely describes things that happened in this episode. Yes, those are all things that happened in this episode. The main thing that this summary doesn't hit on is the fact that Dawson loses his virginity. You figure as big of a deal as they made it, this entire show, it would warrant a sentence uh, in a summary. Maybe we should go in and edit this IMDb summary. But speaking of that... There was an interview that James Vanderbeek did uh, with the Daily Beast. This was in 2012. It was around the time that they were doing a lot of press for Don't Trust the Bee. And people obviously were asking James Vanderbeek a lot of questions about Dawson's Creek because the whole shtick of the show is wrapped around his um, him hanging on to his glory days of being like a teen star, right? And uh, they asked him at one point, 
do you remember that Dawson lost his virginity to Jen Michelle Williams? Do you remember that? And James Van Der Beek's response is, I remember it happening. I have a vague recollection. I do remember bringing champagne for the crew because Dawson finally lost his virginity. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think that's very funny. Yeah. We are five seasons into this TV show. Uh, he, um, People should have sex at the pace they want, but like season five, um, it's champagne worthy, I think. Especially because you're right. They did make such a big deal about it and- I think Dawson was close last season with Gretchen, but then she stopped it. But yeah, sex has always been like this topic of the show that they all talk about. And yeah, so it's kind of nice that Dawson didn't force it. I feel like this was a very natural way of happening between the two of them. But we'll get into it when we talk about... Well, I guess this is the A storyline. Maybe we should just talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) So as the summary tells us, Dawson is feeling estranged from his friends. I think this really comes up during the pre-credit scene when he is on uh, Pacey's boat. I have a weird time calling it Pacey's boat, but he's on the boat with Pacey. And they're just chatting, which I feel like is a nice scene because, you know, it's been a while since we really get to see Dawson and Pacey just be pals like this and be able to talk like this. So... They're on this boat. They're talking. Pacey brings up the issues he's having with Karen and with Danny. And he's kind of venting a little bit. And Dawson's like, do you want to talk about it? And Pacey's just like, no, it's you've got other things to worry about. It's fine. So he does kind of feel like his friends are walking on eggshells around him. Like people are just so scared to bother him with things that they feel might be trivial in the same way that like Joey is constantly like, Dawson, what do you need? How can I help you? And he's feeling a little bit like I just want people to act normally around me. Um, which I think is a valid feeling because you just want things to get back to normal. You don't want people to treat you with kid gloves, you know? Yeah, he mentions it in therapy, but it's been straight up two months since Mitch passed away. Um, And his friends are still tiptoeing around him. And I can imagine that being very frustrating because he's just trying to like, you know, recover and heal and move on with his life. And this makes it kind of difficult to return to any kind of normalcy. Yeah, because there's this constant feeling of like, oh, we can't burden Dawson with our quote unquote silly problems or things that are not as big as the fact that his father passed away. So people are still treating him like he's super sensitive and that they can't talk to him, which makes Dawson feel super distant because he's never been closer to them physically, obviously. He's in Boston now. He's not in California but yet he feels like he might as well be on the other side of the world. But the only person who's not really treating him like this is Jen. And and this comes up because uh, Jen is working at the radio station and Nora comes in to say hi. Nora, who remember is Charlie's or was Charlie's other girlfriend. And Nora comes by to say hi to Jen. And they talk a little bit about like, ugh, complaining about Charlie, right? And then it comes up that... Mm. um. Charlie hasn't been completely absent from at least one of their lives. I just wish I had your self-control. I mean, I know I should be puking at the mere mention of Charlie's name, but I find myself daydreaming about him. His latest attempt to woo us back with that whole I've changed pitch. Oh, wait, which, which I've changed pitch? You know, all those corny love letters he keeps sending. Doesn't it seem sometimes, you know, in that moment when you crawl into bed alone, like, hey, maybe he really did change. Gosh. I don't know. I don't know which love letters you mean. Oh. Hasn't he been sending you letters? 
No. Oh. Wow. So he's trying to woo you back with love letters, huh? That's... <sighs> Jen, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? No, 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 no. Please, please don't apologize. I swear. It's fine. I, I was just saying to you that it doesn't matter to me. But it does, and she sobs to Dawson about it. I want corny love letters. <laughs> Which... I will say that made me laugh a little bit just because in the delivery. I know it's sad and upsetting, but it just made me laugh a little bit. The editing in that part, there's that immediate cut to the I want corny love letters. Great editing. Great timing. (laughs) Michelle Williams does great in that scene. I also thought it was very funny, despite it being like I would feel horrible in that situation, I think, or at least very, very bad, but still real funny in the edit. Yeah. Um, So like like we had talked about, I mean, obviously... 50 whatever it was 506 i think it was not nora's last episode i will tell you charles this is also not her last episode interesting interesting yes charlie's supposed to show up again at some point so i wonder if they'll show up together yeah so i don't know if we discussed this on the podcast I, i'm blanking now because you did ask me it might have been um after we finished recording but you asked me how many more episodes charlie was in and i didn't tell you the exact number but i told you that the number of episodes we've seen him in is not even halfway through his run on the show, which I don't think you were too happy about. That's so many episodes, Tracy. That's so many. That means he's in like the plurality of the remaining episodes of the season. I mean, he was, and I think still is seen as a heartthrob. Is that the right way to put it? People might argue with me, but I mean, he was very, very, uh, popular and a coveted actor at the time coming off of Gilmore Girls is pretty one tree hill so um yeah as evidenced by the tv.com poll from 501 or whatever Charlie's first episode was people love Chad Michael Murray apparently apparently he was in a Cinderella story and in Freaky Friday so he's got a lot of fans um (laughs) those are the things that make you have a lot of fans yes so Charlie is still being slimy, probably. Not wooing Jen back, which is upsetting to her. And she's crying about it to Dawson. And I feel like Dawson, as much as he tried to comfort her, is also kind of relieved because he's like, finally, someone is leaning on me for emotional support and not expecting me to like break down in front of them. Because I almost feel like the way that Joey was treating him, at least, it was very much just like, I'm here if you want to cry. And Dawson's like, I don't want to cry in front of you right now. That pressure to be very vulnerable. Like, Dawson just doesn't really want that and so the fact that jen is sitting there in public crying about this to dawson and being like oh sorry he's just like i feel like he's a little bit relieved yeah the way joey and jen are treating dawson are basically opposites right now and i do think the way jen is acting is what dawson needed as he's like talking her through the scene where he's crying he's almost like smiling the entire time which is kind of nice in a weird way and he also straight up says because Jen apologizes to him. He's like, um, I, I shouldn't be crying. I should be doing this for you, is I think what she basically says. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is fine. And it's like a feeling that he re- reiterates later into the episode where like, you know, this is this is how he wants to be treated right now. So it's it's great for him and I'm happy. I think we saw this a little bit even at the um, the funeral episode because Jen just goes up to him in the kitchen. They make small talk they crack jokes and then jen just flat out says like i don't know what to say to you so here's what i'm gonna do and i think that kind of honesty the the seed they planted for that relationship 
does go back a few episodes. Is it abrupt, though, that we go from Joey and Dawson kissing and talking about how they're soulmates still to Dawson sleeping with Jen? Do you feel like that's abrupt? Yeah, I think it's really, really abrupt. Um, Are we to assume that basically since Dawson and Joey kissed, they haven't spoken? Because... Earlier in the episode, Joey, like when Joey and Jen are studying with each other, Joey asked Jen, like, oh, how's Dawson doing? I don't talk to him a lot anymore, and I know you two hang out. So does that mean that they haven't spoken at all since the kiss? Because it kind of seems like it. It does feel that way. I mean, I guess it's not as easy for them to, you know, text messaging wasn't a big thing. And like, you know, in order for them to talk, it would be a phone call and maybe they feel like it's not appropriate or I, I don't really know. Like we don't obviously don't get to see what happens off camera, but like I'm going to assume that they haven't, that the times that Dawson has been coming to Boston to go to therapy, he's not been making really long visits out of it. And definitely if he's there and he's staying with Jack and Jen, you know, it's, it's a different schedule than what Joey is working on. So I kind of feel like, yes, we get that impression. Um, and maybe Joey is doing that thing where she's she feels like she's giving him distance because that's what he needs. And, and yeah, maybe it is. But I don't know if uh, them not talking, though. Like, I don't know how much that would affect how Dawson feels when it comes to a future relationship. When, it, when it's like Jed versus Joey, you know? Yeah, that, that's true. It's just the, the entire situation is really strange. And it feels like, you know... Dawson and Joey kissed. They kind of had this, like, sweet moment. Maybe not, like, a super romantic moment, but, like, a touching moment. And then Dawson straight up doesn't talk to her for, like, a few weeks and goes off to New Hampshire with Jen. It It's very abrupt, and I'm curious what's going in, what's going on in his head about that entire situation. I don't think that he went to New Hampshire with the idea that they were going to hook up. Like, I, I definitely think that he invited her, like his therapist had said, to bring somebody, to bring his friends along um, to try to get a sense of normalcy. And he only really feels comfortable bringing Jen because she also says, like, I need to get out of Boston just because she's feeling terrible. And they have fun together. And even after they broke up, like, yeah, there was that rough period that does come up uh, between them about how, like, she did try to throw herself at him, etc. We'll get to those clips. But, um. Jen is the only one, I think, for Dawson that he's felt the least amount of drama with out of the group. I mean, aside from, like, Jack and Andy, maybe, but of his friends, you know, Pacey, he's got all that drama. Joey's got all that history. Like, with Jen, even when things weren't great between them, he wasn't writing her off. Of the core four, Dawson has had humongous fights with Pacey. And with Joey. And he's on, like, fine terms with them right now. But I don't think they've... I don't think he and Jen have ever had, like, a catastrophic breakdown. Right? Honestly, I think Jen gets along with everyone pretty well. But for Dawson, like, she's a pretty consistent person in his life. Yeah, I think so. And I think that... Like, my feelings about the two of them hooking up... And especially about Dawson losing his virginity to her. Like, I am not that bothered by it, honestly. It makes sense to me that Jen is that person for him. Whether or not, you know, 
in the long, long run, they end up together. It, to me, it makes sense. Like, I get it. Now, do Again, do I love it in terms of the storytelling of how we're getting along in season five? Pacing could be better, probably, because, yeah, it is fresh in my mind that Dawson and Joey just had their, like, touching moment at the train station. And, yeah, so, I mean, I guess it's it's a bag of mixed emotions, but I do, I, I don't hate the two of them together like this. Yeah, I've been on record on this podcast not loving that they're going back into this love triangle, but from a micro point of view for this episode, I I don't hate it. I think it's fine. I think it's good. I enjoyed this episode, um, and I enjoyed the two of them together this episode. Whether that will continue on for the rest of the season is, we'll see, but it's not bad right now. Yeah, because I think the two of us have also been on record saying that we don't really get the chemistry between them, right? Like, we don't feel a lot of chemistry. And I'm going to skip ahead here to play this clip. I don't want to jinx anything, but I dare say I'm happy. Well, I hope so. Because you deserve it. And I have you to think in a big way. How do you figure? You somehow managed to figure out a way to be there for me. And that... I'll never be able to put into words what that means to me. Dawson, I... It's the least I can do for the guy who restores my faith in the opposite sex. (laughs) I do that? Yes, you do do that. Wow. How do I do that? Because... No, when it didn't work out between us all those years ago, um, you still managed to... Give me a place in your heart. Why didn't it work out between us? You were in love with Joey. No, that's too easy. I seem to recall you having broken up with me. Yeah, but I... Oh, God. I quickly saw the errors of my ways and proceeded to um, hurl myself at you in a very embarrassing fashion. That's right, you did. And I'm ashamed to admit, but I really enjoyed that. (laughs) <laughs> I did. I loved it. This you being the first girl to torn my heart out and all. I did. God, yeah, Temple of Doom style. But anyway, I think I'm fully aware of the reason it didn't work out between us. Why? You were never physically attracted to me. Is that what you think? Yeah, I think you thought that I was safe. And then they do it. <laughs> um i i like their banter like this but i do i do still maintain i guess my, my earlier position that they don't have the greatest on-screen chemistry but i like their banter i like their uh friendship um whether or not and i'm you know trying not to be too spoiler here whether or not it works out for them um i think that dawson and jen is a ship both a friendship and a relationship that has weathered storms in the past and will continue to weather them pretty well they're not like a battleship but they're kind of (laughs) like an aircraft no wait they're a boat it's a boat that works maybe it can't go as far as other boats but it can get places it's the boat that we need right now yes We're going to go full Batman here. Um, (laughs) Maybe not the ship we deserve, but the ship we need right now. Yeah. Uh, But I do agree with you. 
they're not like the most charismatic couple that we see, but it's fine. Not everyone can be. <laughs> not everyone could be Pacey and Joey making out in the yeah. boathouse. Um, before uh. we continue to talk about Jen and Dawson, because uh, there is more to the storyline, we got to back up a little bit and talk about this uh, film festival, which <laughs> it feels like they're walking into a tiny town full of just characters. Like, I want to know more about these people. Like, when they check in at the desk, they are immediately starstruck by Dawson because they recognize him from his picture in a pamphlet or, or something that's been distributed at the festival because he is receiving an award for his documentary. And everyone kind of treats him like like a god, right? Like he's a huge celebrity, including a new character we meet. Hey, Leary. Hey, your movie better be good, man. This festival consistently gives the first prize to a film with a, a fresh voice and unique vision. I, I've won it three years in a row. And I, I just don't like the idea of being usurped by a Hollywood slickster, you know? It's just not cool. Hi. You're really pretty. He's such a little weirdo, but honestly, I kind of like it. <laughs> I love Oliver right now. He's the best. Um, I, like, he's just... What I like about him, he's very honest. He's living his life um, to the fullest. Like, he doesn't seem to hold grudges, or he. there's not a ton of negative emotion associated with him, right? Because... Um, Dawson Dawson's coming in to sweep in this award and he's not even mad about it. He's just he's just hoping that Dawson is as good as he needs to be to win the award rightfully. So I kind of appreciate that. Yeah, and um, even after he watches the film, you know, he's the first to stand up and give Dawson a standing ovation when Dawson goes to get his award. Afterwards, he says to Dawson like that he really enjoyed the film. They talk about the fact that uh, Oliver is going to a artsy school in boston how convenient for us meaning that this is not oliver's first slash last episode we will see him again fun fact for you charles oliver is played by jordan bridges who was a regular in Rizzolian isles which starred sasha alexander so there's a nice little creek connection oh i miss sasha alexander yeah poor one out for gretchen <laughs> Um, but yeah, Oliver is going to be in a few more episodes. I'll just say that. A few more being like 27 more episodes. <laughs> I guess you'll find out. Can we talk about Oliver's film, though? You tweeted this out yes. of context. You just tweeted the screenshot a couple uh, last week while you were watching 508. I didn't even realize this, but what's the name of his film? <laughs> it actually took me to my um, second viewing to notice Oliver's film is called Smoke Crack and Worship Satan. <laughs> it's a short film. It's a short documentary, right? I, well, I don't know if we know it's a documentary, but it's a oh. short film. Okay. So maybe it's like mockumentary style or... Honestly, I'm very curious. What do you think Oliver would make, right? Like he, he's got that kind of like dark, edgy, like tongue-in-cheek, funny guy vibe going on. It could be like... The Office, except with Satanists. <laughs> well, as you get to know Oliver a little more, maybe in our uh, end of the season recap study hall, we can talk about what we think this film is about. <laughs> in my head, it's The Office, but with Satanists. Okay. <laughs> I'd watch that. Um, I'd give it an award. Uh, but the award does go to Dawson, which he knows he's getting this award because it was in that letter. But um, 
his documentary finishes, everyone applauds, and then the, uh, I, I'm assuming the head of this jury or the committee that chooses the awards uh, gets up to talk about Dawson's film. First time I saw this documentary, I knew I was in the hands of a talented filmmaker. But I was equally moved by a letter which accompanied the film's submission. It was a letter from the filmmaker's father telling me that I absolutely could not ignore his son's work. Honestly, I was predisposed to hate the film because, well, it didn't show up until three days past the deadline. But I'm a father myself, and I know a thing or two about parental pride. So I grudgingly put the video in the VCR, and after five minutes, I knew Mitch Leary was right. I absolutely could not ignore his son's work. So, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the filmmaker behind this year's top prize film, Dawson Leary. My dad loved movies. He loved them uh, in the truest sense in that he had no interest in making them. He just, he loved watching them. He started taking me to movies at a very early age. I loved it. He would take me to movies and then, uh, and then talk to me about them. And thank God he did. Um, there's no way I would be here right now if he hadn't done that. Um, thank you so much for this award and for receiving this film so warmly. Dedicate this film to my dad and I will remember him every time I look at this. So thank you. And a very special thank you to my girlfriend, Jen Lindley. I love that moment at the end because it was the joke between them that they were together because when uh, Dawson was checking in for his hotel room, the person checking him in saw Jen was like, oh, is this your girlfriend? And like, that's just kind of been like the joke. And also because um, Oliver was gawking at Jen <laughs> before. But um, yeah, yeah, I thought that was very touching. I also would have been a little grumbly if I received uh a submission late and also with a letter from the filmmaker's parent being like please watch this but um yeah i thought it was very touching as mitch's i don't think this was his final act obviously he probably sent it in um a while ago but it's nice to hear dawson for the first time i think be able to talk about his dad in this like kind of a happy way yeah that, like it's real wistful it's real nice um and i love that it probably wasn't the last thing that Mitch did, but like his enduring thing that he did was also in like Mitch Leary fashion, right? He did this great, like loving thing 
because he believes in Dawson's talent, but he also forgets the details and sends it in late. Like that's <laughs> yeah. Mitch Leary. That's true. It's 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 a great like third way to say goodbye after the funeral. Um, it's real sweet. Yeah, it is, and, and that I think is um, something that Dawson really needed as part of his healing and coping process too. To just kind of hear that his dad did that for him, um, which I thought was very nice. Uh, and then the hotel stuff happens, and then as they're packing up to leave, they sit down and have the like morning after conversation. Is that a good way of putting it? I, they have a conversation about. <laughs> the future of their maybe relationship I just feel awkward and there's too much at stake for me to let it slide what do you mean I don't know I mean part of me wishes that last night could just be um, a beautiful memory and and the other part knows that sex changes everything and I just don't want to lose our friendship. Okay, you're not gonna lose my friendship. I promise. Okay, and yeah, sex does change things, but who says it has to be for the worse? What does that mean? If I told you I knew where this was leading, I'd be lying to you, because I don't. All I know is it happened last night, and it felt right. And if six changes things, you know what? I say bring it on. I'm ready to explore that. Okay. I'm in. So do you feel like that leads us to believe they're going to be a couple? Well, they're going to explore something, right? You don't have to put labels on it, Tracy Lee. Um, <laughs> true, true. They're, they're talking. This is 2002 we're talking to. Yeah, 2002. Is it 2002 yet? This is the early knots we're talking about here. It's modern times. You, No one has to be, like, going steady or dating or whatever. <laughs> no, um, I just mean that, like, I guess the, <laughs> <laughs> the um. The interest, I mean, the thing that I took away from that conversation, which we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, is like, because Dawson did wait until he was truly ready, there wasn't that immense pressure. It felt like he was taking a more mature perspective on it, right? It's not like a, oh my god, we had sex, let's sit down and talk about how serious things are. You know, it didn't feel catastrophic or anything either, which, I mean... I can't say that much because you'll find out, but they're going to have to take this back to Boston. They can't stay in New Hampshire forever. They do end up apparently staying extra days or whatever, but they're going to take this back to Boston. And there's once they get back to the quote unquote real world, like, do you think this is a relationship that could last? I will say at this point, it seems real low pressure and they seem to be getting along just fine. Knowing this show, when they get back to Boston, um, something horrible is probably going to happen. Uh, but the, at this point, everything seems okay. And it, I, I agree with your point about Dawson and how, like, there wasn't a bunch of stress put around this event. Because everything just flows so naturally at 
right now right what i appreciate about um jen and dawson's like relationship or whatever at the end of this episode is they're so mature about it like jen was worried about something she told dawson about what she was worried about they had a conversation about it dawson shared his honest feelings about it and they they came at a conclusion together that they're going to explore which is so healthy uh and it fills me with joy because you know what dawson's creek has taught me um communication is key yes that is very true uh they did handle this in a mature way but you're right the stakes do feel low the pressure is not there's not the only pressure they have right now is just the ones that they may be putting on themselves um yeah so i guess i guess we'll see speaking of boston We've got to go back to Boston and talk about what's happening at Jack's fraternity. <laughs> um, there's a formal that's happening. And uh, what's the non-crass way to put this? All right. Simmer down, ladies. No offense, Jack. <laughs> but we got a lot to do for tonight's formal and precious little time after this meeting. So let's get to it. A, this is our biggest event before the break. B, it must be perfect. And C, everybody must get laid. (laughs) You should all be hooked up with a date by now. But for those of you chumps without one, meet the list. In the spirit of house love, I need names, people. Decent looking honeys. Ready to put out. What about Debbie, man? No, 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 no. What about what about those fine-ass Worthington chicks? Come on, dog. We know you got some hottie friends, and we know you're not looking to score with them. (laughs) Talk, talk, come on, please talk. All right, all right, all right, all right. I may know a girl that meets the um, specified requirements. (laughs) Hey, I got dibs on whatever this guy's got. Okay, I've seen these quality chicks McPhee hangs with. <laughs> and so our main man, Eric's got himself a date. I don't think there is a non-crass way to describe what's going on here. These bros are, like, the worst kind of bro. Like, they're just straight-up dogs. No, that's mean to dogs. Um... <laughs> Yeah, they're just the worst. Oh, my God. Like, I'm not going to say, like, stuff to this doesn't happen, but, like, this is the worst part of the Greek system. Well, one of the... There are a lot of bad parts of the Greek system. This is one of the worst... This is a bad part of the Greek system. And the fact that Jack is laughing along with it. Now, you know, these are his fraternity brothers. They're his friends. But the fact that he doesn't really question it the way that they're acting like what do you think is contributing to that because this isn't the jack mcphee that we've gotten to know so like why do why do we think he's acting this way well there's a few options right is he does he want to try really hard to fit in and he's forcing himself to act this way i don't know if that's the case um because throughout this entire formal does it seem like he realizes he's doing anything wrong I don't know. He does. Has has his personality fundamentally changed from joining this organization? 
maybe a little bit. Um, I think he's probably feeding off the energy of the people around him, and it's changing how he would act, and he might not notice it. I think that's why he's acting the way he is. Yeah, he's not totally aware. It's like a little bit of a herd mentality, right? Like, yeah, everyone is acting that way, and when you're kind of sucked into that world, you in your head, the first thing you're not thinking of is like, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to generalize here. Like whether or not he's thinking of his morals or anything like that. Like he just doesn't see anything wrong with it because literally everyone around him is acting that way. I think that makes total sense. He's like an 18, 19 year old kid. He's surrounding by people, several of which are older than him who like act like this is okay. Um, so unless he's like a genius level, um, emotional person, I would say most people wouldn't recognize that there's anything wrong until they see that there's something wrong. Right. And, and we kind of get that sense when, you know, he introduces Audrey, that's the girl he's talking about to Eric and they go to this formal because he's taking Joey and while they're at the formal, Eric is being... He's making the assumption because Jack told him that Audrey is easy, right? And so he's, I don't want to say he's not trying, but like, he's pretty confident that Audrey's going to sleep with him. And she's very, because she doesn't know about this deal, but she's very just kind of like, what is happening? Like, she just doesn't feel charmed by this guy. Like, she's not having a good time. And Eric goes to uh, talk to Jack about it. Hey, big feet. Mm. Begin to think you lied to me, man. What are you talking about? Audrey, this chick, she's all tease and no please. <laughs> come on, it's only halfway through the night. I mean, give her some time, she'll come around. Oh, I don't know, man, it's like, <laughs> I give my best moves, my best lines, and it, zzz, nothing. <laughs> what if she turns out to be prude? <laughs> no, no, believe me, look, the last thing Audrey is is prude. <laughs> I don't know what you're so worried about, man. Audrey's easy, right? She's just looking to have a good time. I know for a fact that she was psyched to come here tonight. She just, you know, play your cards, right? And she'll hook up with you for sure. This is a conversation that Joey does overhear and uh, confronts Jack about it and argues with him about it. What a gross conversation. Yeah, it's not a great conversation. I have a question for you. Yes. So at the end of this scene, right, Jack notices that uh, Joey's heard everything he said and he has this look of worry on his face um but you cut to the next scene where they're fighting like maybe a minute later if not a shorter amount of time and he's defending himself do you think he realized what he was doing was wrong or do you think he figured it out later i think he figured it out later like i think when he saw joey standing there and like the look on joey's face made him like stop a little bit so there was that like flicker of like oh shit like i shouldn't have let Joey overhear that. But he still doesn't think that the way he was treating Audrey was bad. And in some ways, it's a little slut-shamey, right? Because he's like, Audrey's not a prude. She's, you know, always hooking up with people or Joey's always calling her all these things or whatever. It's fine to treat her like this. But it's not fine to treat her like that. So he doesn't think that he's treating, the fact that he's treating Audrey like she's an easy catch for Eric he doesn't think that that's wrong, I think, in the moment. But when he notices that Joey overhears that, like, that's what he didn't want to happen. He didn't want Joey to know that that's what was going on. That makes sense. Uh, when I first saw the conversation scene, I was like, oh, has has uh, Jack 
realize that he's been doing something wrong this entire time. Um, but after watching it a few times, I do think it takes him a little bit to figure it out. And he does get there eventually. I think the fact that J- Joey calls him out on it, like that maybe was kind of a, a shake back to reality that he wasn't expecting because, you know, being surrounded by all these guys who were talking about girls like that and um, in that environment, like, it's just not something he's it's on the top of his mind. And so, of course, Audrey's going to be into that like why wouldn't she be and he doesn't really have the ability to step outside of the situation and look at how joey's probably seeing it which is why he gets so defensive because you know the fraternity is his family it's the same reason why he was defensive about his fraternity against jen and jen's been his best friend for a long time or for years no yeah that makes sense and it's it especially go going back to what we said earlier about him being surrounded by like the same kind of person for an extended period of time i imagine it can be very very jarring um to like realize that not everyone thinks like that it's kind of like the same way i don't want to compare it to this because it's it's an unfair comparison but like it's like getting out of a cult you know like and, I, and the reason why i don't want to say that is because like not all greek organizations are cult-like but like i think that it's the same sort of mentality of like once you step out of it when you realize that the situation is not the best for you and you start to really critically think about it like the fact that Jack does go at the end of the episode and apologize to Audrey and then sits down and talks about it with Joey, like, is kind of a realization moment for him that, like, oh, the real world is not going to view everything the way the fraternity views everything. It's not that he needs to choose between the two, but it's like he needs to think a little more about the choices that he makes, especially when he's making choices for other people, essentially. Yeah, like, he can't just be consumed by one thing. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, This is not Eric's only episode. We've seen him before, I think. I don't think this was his first episode, but we will see him again. Obviously, he's in the fraternity. I will say this about Eric. If all of his quote-unquote best moves and lines (laughs) were about him, like, about how much he can bench press at the gym, (laughs) like, maybe there's a reason he was the one without a date, like, right before uh, formal, right? That's true. And also, I just want to say... Audrey is on the record. She hates working out on the record. Canonical. She's told multiple people. So this is literally the worst person that Jack could have set her up with. Again, Jack in his head was like, oh, Audrey's easy. It's fine. Ah, Jack. I think Jack learned a lesson. Yeah, I do really appreciate that he apologized. Like when he apologized at the end of the storyline, he didn't apologize to Joey first. He apologized to Audrey first, which I really liked. Or maybe it's because he went to the room and Audrey was the only one there. <laughs> hey, let me have my Jack's not such a bad guy fantasy, okay? <laughs> no, no, I agree. Jack is not a bad person. I think he's just gotten sucked up into something that, um, you know, he's always wanted to feel like he belongs somewhere, you know? And so this is, this is the place for him. And he doesn't want to... Uh, be down on his brothers because they're now his family and you know how jack has been with his family it's just been such a tough journey for him so i get the i get the issues here yeah of of the communities that jack has been a member of this is probably the most stable if we're being realistic right like his fam like his blood family life is not super stable his close friends they're his close friends but they're literally like dating each other all the time and getting into these gigantic fights the fraternity is compared to all those 
pretty pretty nice and quiet and stable for the most part. So I can understand why it's important to him. Yeah, there's structure. There's, you know, people who know he's gay and aren't kicking him out of the house because of it. Like, to him, the positives outweigh the pr- negative perceptions that he gets or that he hears, you know, from the outside world, from Jen, from Joey, like, yeah. So, uh, Jack's fraternity storyline continues on. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, to our final storyline of this episode, also in Boston, is Pacey. He knows about this affair. He's talked about this affair. He's tired of dealing with this affair. Do you feel like it's a weird move for him to go ask Karen out? Yes, I think it's a super weird move. Like, why would you do that? This woman is literally having an affair with your boss and you work with her. Of the things you could do, I think asking that person out on a date is a bet. Like, what was his end game? you think? Like, oh, I'm going to ask my boss's mistress out on a date to show her what the world can be like if she weren't my boss's mistress? That doesn't make any sense. I will say a little bit in Pacey's defense here, because as the IMDb summary points out, I think he says it in the episode when he's talking to Karen, he pushes that, like, this isn't a romantic thing. Like, this is just two friends or whatever. But you're right. What was the end game here? Like, I think it was maybe to hopefully show her that, like, she deserves to have a good time and she can have a good time. It doesn't need to be with someone like Danny, who's, you know, a jerk and, and is gross. I think maybe that's what he was thinking. Now, execution-wise, I feel like it was the date. <laughs> um, and yeah, you're right. The last thing Karen needs is to be asked out by a coworker. Honestly, she needs to not date people uh. she works with because they're all being terrible. And when I say all, I mean Danny. Danny is terrible, and she needs to get away from him. Yeah. They do go on this date. Uh. It is. It's your typical Pacey date, honestly. You know, it's cute. He's charming. They sleep together. The only weird thing about the date to me is it seems like he spends a lot of it talking about how much better her life would be if only she didn't have the problems that she had, which is an interesting choice in dinner conversation on a date. But I'm going to leave it alone besides mentioning right now on my podcast, <laughs> on our podcast. <laughs> but I think that's the thing. That's that's why I feel like his intentions were mainly to to. Mm. hammer that point in of oh, like yeah. you know your life doesn't need to be the way that you think it needs to be because she feels like that's what she deserves you know this shitty half-assed relationship with someone who's married yeah no, that's a good that's a good point that's a good point so they go on this date they have a good time they sleep together and then immediately after they sleep together karen's just like i don't want to say she's filled with regret but she's like angry about it right she she does say she regrets it even though later on she says she doesn't, but she says in the moment, like, she regrets it. She's just pissed off, and Pacey kind of gathers that she she slept with him mainly to piss off Danny because it, it would get back to him, or that she could go tell Danny that that's what she did and, and piss him off because Pacey's his, you know, protege or whatever. I don't like to think of Karen being that spiteful, but apparently that's that's how we leave them after their date. Uh, which is not great. So Pacey goes the next day to the restaurant to resign, and Danny's like, if this is about Karen, like, she beat you to it. Because Karen also resigns. But Danny still says to Pacey, like, if you want your job, you can have it. Like, it's still yours. I don't know how I feel about this, honestly. (laughs) If I were Pacey, I would not keep the job. Like, a good line cook can find work in a 
decent sized city pretty easily. He doesn't need the job here now that he has some experience under his belt. At a nice restaurant, too, we're led to believe, right? Yeah, we believe that it is a nice restaurant, that it's worthy of having this big like anniversary party. It's popular. Um, and Karen does say when, when they're parting ways, because after Pacey walks out of the restaurant, he sees Karen sitting on like a bus bench waiting for a taxi and they talk and Karen does say like for what it's worth like I don't regret what happened and she's just talking about how she needs to move on and she does tell Pacey to stick with the job. Last night I never would have guessed that we were going to be sitting here like this. I'm sorry for what I said Pacey. Last night was just as much my fault as it was yours. For what it's worth I don't regret it, not a single second. You forced me to make a decision I should have made a long time ago. Why don't you give it a chance? I mean, you don't have to leave, Karen. No, I do. I owe myself some major regrouping. And I have you to thank for making me realize that. You called me on a lot of things that need fixing. Nobody can save you from yourself. <laughs> I probably would have tried anyway. Um, this does fall into, I know some people uh, who have written to us say that they do have issues with the way the character, the show is always like, of course Pacey fixed it. Like, you need someone like Pacey to fix it. It's like, well, we want the women to have agency too. But in this situation, it is a different, it's different than like what we've seen in the past. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this, honestly. Is this the end of Karen Torres? So, Okay. She is in the next episode, but mainly because 509 is the episode that aired out of order. Oh. Which is why I think I've said this before to you, either on or off the podcast, that, like, there is going to be characters and things that you see happening in 509 that will be confusing, but we do need to talk about the fact that it is out of order, and it's very obvious it's out of order. So, yes, this is the end of her storyline. We do see her in 509, again, mainly just because uh, that episode was filmed and was intended to air before this episode oh karen torres i i was gonna say i feel like she deserves better um because i do like the character of karen torres but i guess realistically you can only give a character so much before it doesn't make sense right and the karen we knew she was sweet but also she had like she had a, a she was in a rough position in life so having pacey crash into that and screw everything up but also kind of fix things is not outside of the realm of what she could expect i guess yeah because the alternative would have been that they kept karen around she would have continued this affair until you know danny's wife found out or danny officially broke up with her and then what would happen to her character it's like there's just not too much else that the writers really could have done to develop her character and you know maybe that's not what they wanted to wrap pacey up with for the rest of the season either so it's hard it's hard to say because uh she does not come back we don't see her again there but but we will see more pacey storylines that are not you know not about dealing with the love triangle or whatever i do appreciate that in the last episode karen was like do you ever wish i'm harping on this again because i love this um, but she said, like, oh, do you ever wish you were, like, a different person? And 
I appreciate that Pacey screwing everything else gave her like the wherewithal to go out and actually change her life. Like it's not Pacey doing the fixing of her life, right? It's just him giving her the realization necessary, like the context necessary to realize that she has to do something about her life. Yeah, I think that that helps. Like he gave her a push in the right direction. He didn't swoop in and save it, which I'm kind of glad that the writers didn't put him in that position. But yeah, because Karen up until Pacey found out about it, I mean, Karen and Danny were very content with just keeping the situation as it was, you know, sleeping together behind (sighs) Emily's back and not talking about it. And yeah, that's not a great position for Karen to be in. You need need someone to come and shake things up a little bit to, to help you see that the situation you're in might not be the best in the same way that with Jack and the fraternity, like he needed Joey to be like, Hey, this is not okay. Yeah. 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 Um, um question for you. Do yes. you think that Pacey goes back to the restaurant? What do you think happens to Pacey? I predict that he goes back to the restaurant, but he doesn't feel good about it and leaves the restaurant at some other point in the season. That doesn't make sense from a storytelling point of view, but I've said it. So now I'm married to it. <laughs> and that's how that works. Okay. Well, I guess we'll find out. Um, do you have any other thoughts about this episode? My headcanon for Karen Torres is that she leaves Boston, somehow ends up in Capeside, and works for Leary's Fresh Fish, and Bodie teaches her how to be an amazing chef. All right. Are we going to put that in the book of Charles predictions? <laughs> or just yeah. things you want to have? That's your fan fiction. Yeah. They're just out there cooking seafood. <laughs> All right. I like that. She does need to go somewhere where she's actually able to cook because that's the thing. She wanted to be a chef. She's talented or we're told she's talented and she wasn't getting that opportunity. So time to go. I believe in you, Karen Torres. My only other thoughts were about fashion. (laughs) It's that uh, Jen's outfit and makeup at the film festival, like she's wearing that fedora and she has that like her eyeliner, the way it's like her bottom the lash line is like tight lined the way it is like it's just very of the early 2000s like that fashion it was like (laughs) just just very oh i know that era um that made me smile and then um audrey had this like semi crimped hair situation happening at the formal that was also very of the time and it's kind of making a comeback now not like a fully crimped like not a full head of hair that's like all crimped but like the semi crimped you know no, I don't know, but... <laughs> I'll send you a picture later. <laughs> okay. Um. Okay. I will say, Oliver was also wearing a hat very similar in style to the hat that Jen was wearing. So maybe they were big in that New Hampshire town. Also, doesn't it seem like every time Dawson goes on a road trip, he just winds up in some random city with the weirdest people? <laughs> like, what other road trip are you thinking of? The, the time he went on that road trip with uh, Gretchen. Oh, and right. And go to they... that city where... Yeah, that auto uh, repair guy was super nice until he wasn't. And then the people in the diner were super, super mean. What was up with that? (laughs) And then the time that they go to Rhode Island and they almost get in a fight on the ferry. What was up with that? We're not in Caveside anymore, Toto. Weird places all around. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, how about let's talk about who won this episode. What does the internet think? With zero votes each, you have Grams, who is still listed here. She's not in this episode. We have Jack. Did she ever come back? Yes, Grams comes back. 
We have okay. Jack at zero votes, Joey at zero, Danny at zero, Karen, Audrey, and Nora all at zero. One vote, you have Jen. Two votes, you have Dawson. Three votes, you have Dr. Weir, the therapist. And five votes, you have Pacey. Okay. Here's the thing, Tracy. Yes. I don't want to make it seem like sex is a zero-sum game. Um, But I feel like Dawson has a pretty good episode. Right? Like, he gets to deal a little bit with his dad's death. He... Well, at least one of his friends like acts in a way that helps him heal. He wins this award. He gets to tell this cute story, and um, he has this exciting relationship to explore. Now, I feel like none of the other other characters has as much success as he has in this episode. No, I agree. I I see and agree with your hesitation to give Dawson the win because it feels a little bit like oh he had sex. Of course he won. That's not what we're saying. I I agree that the rest of his story especially being at the film festival and having won that and getting a little bit of closure you know all those things that you mentioned does make him the winner so i would give it to dawson but i want to stress that it's not because he lost his virginity (laughs) yeah yeah i mean he has maybe a new college he can go to now he has a new filmmaker friend oh yeah we didn't even talk about the fact that um oliver who like i said goes to this artsy school in boston told dawson about it he seemed to pique his interest so how can again how convenient (laughs) yeah yeah dawson leary winner of 508 yes 508 all right let's talk about ratings on imdb out of 96 votes this episode has a 7.1 which is middle-ish i want to say for the season and then on tv.com out of 89 votes this episode has an 8.6, which is also kind of middle-ish. Uh, what do you give it, Charles? That's surprising, because I'm giving this episode an 8.5, which is high-ish for me, for this season at least. Um, huh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, I generally liked this episode. Um, the whole trip to New Hampshire was honestly really fun. Um, I enjoyed meeting the characters we met. I really like Oliver. I'm happy he's going to stick around at least for a little bit because he's like he's likable and he's fun. Um, the Dawson-Jen relationship in the long term, I might not enjoy, but for this episode, it's great. The Pacey-Karen stuff, eh, it I feel weird about it, but I'm excited for Karen and Pacey's being Pacey. Um and the formal stuff is well i mean at least jack realizes he's shitty by the end a little bit um and overall i like this episode a fair amount compared to the rest of the season thus far okay um i i also give it an 8.5 how um are you serious (laughs) how um what's the word i'm looking for so Tracy and I have kind of developed a relationship around Facebook's uh, push or not a relationship. We've developed a language around Facebook pusheen stickers um, <laughs> that you can use in Messenger. And I, when you said what's the word for this, I literally almost said nacho pusheen. Yes, nacho. But our uh, listeners would have no idea what that means. No, no. If you are um, on Facebook Messenger, there are stickers you can download, and there's a set of pusheen the cat stickers that 
Charles and I have meanings for all of the stickers, <laughs> and uh, the nacho-eating Pusheen and her little sister Stormy mean that we are of the same mind. So yes, that is what we are right now. Um, uh, that was an aside. But yes, 8.5 for the same reasons. I like that Dawson had a good episode. Um, I like that he's able to... I like that we see this uh, the different stages to his grief, like handling his grief and coping with um, what it means to have lost your father. Um, I think it's developed well on that end. Um, I do still want them to give Jen a little more, uh, storyline that's her own, but, you know, we've still got a lot of season to go. I don't love the fraternity stuff, mainly because I don't like seeing Jack act that way, because that's not the Jack McPhee we know and love. Um, but yeah, you're right that it's good that he saw the error of his ways and was able to apologize. I, I wasn't too attached to the Pacey Karen stuff, but um, I just am still happy that Pacey's not just like floating around the ocean doing nothing, you know? <laughs> like, at least he's got he's got a job. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, literally not floating around the ocean anymore, which is nice. Yeah. Um. So yeah, eight point five as well. We are of the same mind there. Um. Okay. The next episode, as I have said. Uh, in this episode is 509 which is the episode that aired out of order it is called four scary stories is this a halloween episode you know we'll find out (laughs) um when i say we i mean you um it is called four scary (laughs) stories it uh was independent ish enough to for the writers to have felt comfortable taking it out of order but Meaning, meaning my way of saying to you that it may come off a little fillery. But yeah, four scary stories. I don't know if I want to ask you to predict what it's about because it is giving us a um, pause in the storylines we've been following. But do you want to predict what it's about? I will predict that Karen is there and we see some conflict in the kitchen. <laughs> um, apart from that, I don't know what else could happen. Oh, we see uh, Jen getting into college radio this episode, maybe? Yes, yes. It is around, uh, we see her at the radio station, yeah. The thing is, like, I know the things that happen after this episode, so making predictions about it is kind of weird, but, uh, yeah. She really enjoys college radio. Karen Torres is there and (laughs) is unhappy with her life. Um, Jack is a bro. Those are my predictions. Okay. I will say, uh, you asked earlier if we see Grams again. Grams is in 509, so you will see Grams in the next episode. Oh, yay. Um, okay. Well, Charles. Oh, I can't say goodbye yet. We haven't done our plugs. Um, if you want to share your thoughts, I do have some emails. Well, a lot of people want to talk about some later episodes that happened in season five. I am saving those up, uh, so we will get to them if you've emailed, particularly about, you all know the episode I'm talking about. There's an episode in season five. You all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's just the worst episode ever. It's, it's yes. People have called it the worst episode of Dawson's Creek. Some people think it's not that bad. I'll talk about it. We've, we've got some time before we talk about it. But uh, if you've emailed about that, I am saving those emails up. Uh, if you want to share your thoughts about 509 or about 508 or just anything down the line, 
you know where to do it, DawsonSpeakPod at gmail.com. You can leave comments, DawsonSpeak.com, where you can also find all the links to how other ways you can contact us, including our phone number. If you leave us a voicemail, we might play that on our podcast. Uh, the phone number is on the website. It's at the bottom of every single show post. I almost forgot that it was at the bottom of every single show post, but it's there. And if you have not rated and reviewed us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, please do that. It does help us out a lot. And we appreciate your feedback, your constructive comments, and your uh, praise of things that you enjoy because uh, we like hearing what you guys like to hear or what you all like to hear. So, yeah. Charles, any last words about 508 Hotel New Hampshire? Um, just a small thing. I enjoyed the editing in this episode a lot. And I think that's all I have to say about 508. I think I've covered everything I've felt. Cool. Well, if we have any extra thoughts, we'll put them on the website as well. So uh, we'll see you next week for some scary stories. Ooh. I want corny love letters. <laughs> 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 <laughs>